Welcome in and congratulations, you've made it. It is football season in Happy Valley. Penn State returning to action uh, in about 24 hours or so from when we record this. Sean Fitz, Tyler Donahue with you here on the Lions 24-7 podcast. And Penn State set to take on visiting Idaho. The Vandals come to town for a 3.30 p.m. showdown. And whether you're listening to this on your way onto campus or maybe while tailgating and with Beaver Stadium in sight, want to welcome you into a new episode and a new season of Nittany Lions football. We're going to break down this matchup a little bit, get you a better perspective on what Penn State may be looking to accomplish on Saturday, aside from just picking up the W. Additionally, what the Idaho Vandals are all about. And when you look around the Big Ten schedule, Sean, it's not like anyone's going out there and trying to, to land a, a major first punch. The only matchup you look at that's in single-digit betting line right now is Northwestern playing Stanford. Aside from that, there's a lot of Penn State-Idaho kind of matchups to be found across the country in the Big Ten. And that's the way to go about it, considering that the, the strength of schedule and out-of-conference schedules have meant fairly little in terms of, uh, I guess, slotting yourself for the college football playoff. So it's the way to go when you schedule Idaho and you got, you know, go Michigan State and Tulsa tonight, which, you know, Michigan State often comes out fairly slow. We'll see that. Wisconsin, South Florida may be the, the best game uh, tonight. Well, you got Purdue, Nevada, which could, could be interesting out in Nevada. But across the Big Ten, I mean, you, you, this is the way that it goes these days. I mean, you schedule, what, one good opponent, one Mac team, I guess, if you're Penn State with Buffalo coming to town next week, and then a, just sort of an outlier with uh, with Idaho, who was an FBS team when they scheduled them, and of course have dropped back to FCS, which is kind of how they got away with this. So, I mean, it's strength of schedule is what it is anymore. You're more working toward the the conference schedule, and basically just trying to keep that zero in that loss column as long as possible. And as long as that stays, I mean, people seem to forget uh, who you play in week one anyway. Right, and if Penn State goes on to make some kind of college football playoff push this year and gets into late October, November, nobody is going to be pointing back to a game against Idaho and a win against the Vandals as some kind of stepping stone, although you've got to go 1-0 to go 2-0 to go 3-0 and and etc., of course. Uh, but what we can look forward to on Saturday, uh, you know, it may not be shaping up as a statement win for Penn State, but right now they have a lot of statements to make because they are a young team. Uh, the way this game you would anticipate shapes up, and by the way, Penn State approximately a 40-point favorite in this contest. You can expect some college debuts. That's not just for the true freshmen. That's also for some of the second-year players who redshirted last year and didn't see any time. And ultimately, we're going to be looking at at a squad that is going to be trying to get on the same page in in some certain areas. I mean, Sean Clifford has thrown seven passes in his career. Uh, Nobody beyond KJ Hamler or Pat Fryermuth have caught multiple touchdowns in a Penn State uniform. You're going to have a first-year starter at running back. You're going to see four running backs. And by the way, before we forget to mention this, after the game, we're going to try to do this every Saturday. We will be breaking things down with a podcast from Beaver Stadium. We'll get that out as soon as possible. So you can look forward to that on your ride home from the game or or even if you're stationary, uh, we'll be able to bring you the latest from Beaver Stadium after talking with players and, of course, James Franklin's press conference. Apologies to uh, significant others for that one. So sorry, if, you know, we're, we apologize in advance here, mom, especially my mom. So but anyway, go on. I actually think my wife might be okay with us doing the podcast instead of me coming home and talking about the game to her. So knock it out of the way before then. But when you talk about this Saturday, I want to start in the offensive backfield because there's going to be an opportunity for guys not just to 
you know, prove themselves to a coaching staff and game speed. I don't care who's across the way. A lot of these players have just not been involved on a college football field. And, and that goes for Will Levis. Um, you know, there's going to be a lot of concentration on Sean Clifford because of, you know, this is his first start. But Will Levis should be involved in this game. And that's very important because he has never taken a snap in a college matchup. And he's somebody who is either one injury away from being out there or, you know, if Sean Clifford turns out not to be the guy, then you got to make sure Will Levis could be the guy. Um, we've discussed before that that's, that fall behind them to the third quarterback is is pretty scary scenario for your team. And, and nothing against Michael Johnson Jr. and Jaquan Roberson as prospects, but I think right now as Big Ten quarterbacks, they're not there right now uh, to be guys that you can lean on if you're wanting to win a conference championship. So, Beyond those two quarterbacks, though, you, uh, running back group. Look, sh- Ricky Slade's going to get his first start. I expect uh, he'll get uh, a few chances to shine. Remember, he scored a touchdown in his freshman debut last year in the opener against Appalachian State, and and that turns my attention to the other freshmen, Noah Kane, Devin Ford. We've talked about it, uh, you know, throughout this offseason that these guys are going to get every chance to push uh, four roles, four reps, and 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 maybe even push for a starting role by the end of the season. Uh, nothing that James Franklin told us on game week dispelled that. Both of those players have the green light, which means they are expected to surpass the four-game threshold the NCAA has in place with the redshirt rule. And then, of course, there's Journey Brown. And while it's his third year on campus, there's still plenty unknown about this young man who was an all-state track performer, an all-state running back in high school, but wasn't a complete college running back until very recently from what we've gathered from J1 Sider. And uh, he's come off that summer suspension, and, and he's going to have a chance to, to show what he can do here. So that's just the focal point for me, but there are so many places on the field where guys have a chance to make opening statements on Saturday. Yeah, a lot of positions you could step up. Receiver could also be a spot where you see a ton of guys uh, rotated through to fi- so they can figure out a rotation. Of course, we know they're going to play three tackles, three guards. And on defense, you can sort of cycle through guys as well, keep them up, keep them fresh. And yeah, I think, yeah, you have bring your roster down here. Uh, I think that's the way to go about this because it's it's going to be, you know, and, and I know I hate sliding Idaho, but they're a middle of the pack to bad uh, big sky team. And, you know, that they're in for it. I mean, I watched a couple of the highlights from when they played Florida last year at the end of the season. And I, I picked, and spoiler alert, I picked 55-6 to six for the score. And I'm thinking, maybe I'm a little conservative on that. It's not a, not a great FCS, FCS team by any uh, stretch of the imagination. I think they're going to go after them uh, fairly early. I mean, get it in the books and, and, and see a lot of players on Saturday. The Nitty Lions will be lined up against college football players, scholarship college football players, many of whom were the best players out of their high school and and and, and out of their communities. But let's face it, there is a tier system in college football. And this is a primary example, and you'll find it across uh, college football in week one. We mentioned Big Ten and the disparity of of talent um, from one side of the field to the other. You'll find that in every Power Five conference uh, throughout the year, but particularly here early in the season when you schedule these out-of-conference matchups. Now, the deal here is Idaho was the FCS program last year for the first time um, in the Big Sky, as you mentioned, and, and Look, they won four games. They were four and seven, but their schedule was sandwiched uh, against teams at the FBS level. Uh, let's go over that real quick. Started the season by suffering a 79 to 13 loss to Fresno State. It finished the season with a 63 to 10 loss to Florida. 
And when I look through their recent history, and that includes when they were an FBS program in 2017 and prior, uh, you know, it stands out when they come into contact with the with the team that is at the Power Five level in particular. It's been very ugly. You look at 2017; they lost to Missouri 68 to 21. Back in 2016, this team actually won nine games. They were nine and four. Uh, they won, of course, of all bowls. Fittingly, the the Idaho Potato Bowl. But, and that's a, and that's a year that James Franklin, during his press conference on Tuesday, pointed to as as part of their success uh, under Petrino, Paul Petrino, their head coach there. Uh, but you look at that, even that season, uh, nine win season, they went up against Washington State, they lost fifty six to six. They went up against Washington, they lost fifty nine to fourteen. So uh, a program here that has really, really not given anyone a tough time. This is not an Appalachian State situation, and of course, last year Appalachian State was in the FBS. They moved in the opposite direction over you know the past decade or so jumping from the FCS to the FBS and the question last year about Appalachian State was primarily about their quarterback uh, and we got a really quick answer in week one because uh, he balled out and, and that game went to overtime but this game against Idaho I think you're definitely I, I, I won't give my prediction like you did quite yet but we are in the same ballpark uh, which again sets the stage for Penn State to learn more about itself uh, than anyone's going to learn on the outside looking in about Penn State. There just should be several phases of this game and several positional battles within this contest where Penn State has the ability to overwhelm the Vandals. And I'm just going to throw this one out right here. Over under on Penn State sacks, seven and a half. I'm leaning over, Sean. You know, I'm... I'm- I'm tempted to take the under because Idaho does get the ball out fairly quickly. But yeah, I'm going to take the over as well. Starting a true freshman at offensive tackle, starting a true sophomore on the other side. They play a scheme where they, they sort of rotate their, their offensive linemen. They play a strong side and they play a quick uh, a quick side uh, tackle and guard. So Noah Johnson's a pretty good player. I mean, we had him as a three-star at 24-7 sports. He's an All-American FCS guard. I'm um, going to play the strong guard for them. So this offensive line, you know, n- not awful by... For, for their standards, uh, or it's actually pretty good by the, the FCF standards. But from what Penn State will see, not the strongest group that uh, is going to go out. So we're going to see, I think, guys like Jason Alway, maybe Adisa Isaac get after the quarterback and get, to, get their feet wet with uh, with things like that. So I'll take the over. I, I can see why I could take the under if they're going to get the ball out and go and maybe run the clock down a little bit and try to try to get things moving and take their $1.4 million and get back to, to Moscow. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I'll go with the over as well. You mentioned Noah Johnson, one of those four returning starters on the offensive front for Idaho, and and he's an All-American at the FCS level, and he's a senior, and they do have some returning experience up front. But I'm going to focus on another Noah real quick, and and that's Noah Gunn. He is a freshman making his first college start at offensive tackle, and all he has to do is go up against what appears to be a defense that may be better suited to supply pressure off the edge than any program in America. So that's quite the task for him. Uh, when we look uh, back at the Penn State situation and what they've got going on with their roster, um, last year we had a suspension pop up in the opener that, that wasn't really anticipated with Kevin Givens taking a seat. He ended up starting the, the remaining 12 games of the year. Not sure if there will be any ramifications 
ramifications from the summer suspensions for defensive end Tor Gross Matos and running back Journey Brown. To this point, no clarity there. We know both of them should be in the mix heavily. Uh, Etor as a starter, of course, and also Journey Brown, you know, as your number two, number three running back at this point, right in the mix there. Um, if they're on the field, you'll see a lot of them. One player who will not be on the field for Penn State is cornerback Donovan Johnson. We found out after practice on Wednesday, James Franklin telling us uh, that he is suspended for a violation of team rules for the season opener. Johnson is a redshirt sophomore. We've spoken a lot about him maybe pushing for that third cornerback role behind the starters and John Reed and Tariq Castro-Fields. Not going to be able to help his case this Saturday, but we know one player who certainly will. Uh, it's a guy we've talked about a lot this summer, really going back to his early enrollment last January. And that's, you know, the local kid, State College High School graduate and now Penn State freshman, Keaton Ellis. Yeah, I've been saying it from the start. You're going to see Keaton Ellis from the jump. He's going to uh, he's a guy that they're pretty excited about. He's a guy that uh, can do a lot of things for them. I was talking to somebody yesterday and talked about hey, maybe he's a safety, like long, long term. You know, if he if he he's got that kind of size, so you're not sure where he's going to end up in in five years, but that really doesn't matter because he's playing corner right now. He's playing some star, which means he'll get some nickel looks inside as well. So um, interested to see how he responds and, and Trent Gordon as well. I mean, I think that you can get John Reed and Tariq Castro Fields some some reps out there, but you're going to want to see Trent Gordon. You may see Joe. Joey Porter, DJ Brown, and some of these other young corners get out there and, and get some work. But uh, really interested to see how Gordon and Ellis respond. Uh, they seem to have both had pretty decent camps. And um, I, I think the opportunity is certainly there. And Johnson was with the scout team this week at practice, and we're not going to see him this week. And, you know, this would have been a nice, nice opportunity for him to get out and get some reps as well. Considering the excitement that we have heard about these young cornerbacks, starting with Keaton Ellis and, and obviously throw Joey Porter Jr. in there as well, uh, not exactly ideal for Donovan Johnson right now, kind of re reminiscing a little bit of Journey Brown having to step away this summer, although that was for a much longer stretch. But, hey, you prove your point during games, and you're only guaranteed 12 Saturdays or Friday evenings now to do that, and, and here's one that, that Donovan Johnson won't be a part of. An area of the field where you're feeling a bit more uneasy uh, than cornerback is the offensive line, and, and it's been well documented on this podcast, by other publications, and, and heck, by James Franklin himself. This offensive line needs to take a step forward if the program is going to take a step forward and truly perennially compete for a college football playoff spot. I don't care who you have at quarterback. I don't care how many five stars and four stars you put in your backfield. I don't care how many uh, impressive wide receivers you have running routes downfield. The offensive line needs to get its job done protecting the guys in the backfield and also putting games away late. And that's going to put the focus on a few players. I think in particular, a couple veterans, right tackle Will Fries, left guard Steven Gonzalez, and we had a chance to chat on Thursday morning with Matt Limegrover, the offensive line coach for the Nittany Lions, and I was pretty direct with my line of questioning. I brought up the fact that Steven Gonzalez told us last spring that he was initially leaning towards entering the NFL draft, then he decided to come back, help his case, help the program, yada, yada, yada. Well, here we are, August 31st, Game one of his fifth year with this team, and he's got the or designation next to his name now. He is no longer listed as an outright starter, and you know Mike Miranda is in that mix now. We've heard from James Franklin that Mike Miranda could play left guard, could play right guard, could play center. But it very much appears that C.J. Thorpe uh, is going to be the guy at right guard. Certainly expecting Stephen Gonzalez to be the starter at left guard as the season opens, but um, this is... 
obviously something to monitor moving ahead because it wasn't an accidental typo that they put the or next to Steven Gonzalez. And this is something that, that from the first snap of the first game, uh, as they worked their way towards tougher opponents and, and formidable defensive lines, and you know that the Big Ten is filled with them, this is a storyline in my opinion. To me, that's a message to Steven Gonzalez. I mean, he he played like he checked out at times last year. We talked about this with Connor McGovern as well. He played like they had already decided they were going to the NFL, and he, he's got to get that back. He's got to get back into uh, into the groove to be where you know the player that they think he can be because he's going to be an eventual four year starter. So Miranda's had a good camp, but I think this is more of a message to Gonzalez than anything. That Miranda, I think, is going to be very valuable uh, backup center can play right guard, can play left guard. Uh, we know you know if you've listened to the podcast for a long time, you know I'm very high on him as a football player, as a guy that you know could actually have a fairly early impact on the offensive line. Moving outside, they're, they're really high on Des Holmes. They're going to give him a shot to see what he can do, and, and I agree with you as well. I mean, Fry's, um, you know, from what we've seen from him on the field in the last year, you know, not always been stellar. So uh, curious to see where Des Holmes uh, winds up. They, we saw Rasheed Walker playing some right tackle this week with with Holmes as left tackle. So I think they, they can mix and match and experiment this week and see what they've got and go from there because – I think that job is a lot closer than, you know, maybe the, the depth chart would indicate without the or designation with Fries and, and, and Holmes. But they're going to give Holmes every opportunity to get in there. And you need that seasoning. You need that guy to, to get some experience and go in because this is a guy who also has played guard, has played tackle. So he can be a very valuable part of that offensive line, which isn't the deepest unit, especially without Juice Scruggs out there. It's not the deepest unit out there. So we will see Miranda. We'll see Holmes. And I'm, I'm looking to see how both of those handle the, the situations that they're put in. Beyond the personnel nitpicking that will certainly take place on Saturday, and again, we're expecting a ton of personnel on the football field for Penn State in the opener, there's a couple things I think Penn State would love to take away from this opener, and I'm sure Nittany Lions fans would love to take away from this opener. The first is a cohesion on offense, and and that starts at the center with your quarterback, Sean Clifford, in his first start uh, with his play caller, Ricky Ronnie. Those two on the same page, you'll be able to tell, I think. I think you'll see Clifford uh, confident. The body language will be there. If they're not on the same page, if there's some kind of miscommunication, you'll see early timeouts. You'll see confusion at the line. Those things are evident. A fan sitting in row 19, section 240 will be able to see that. We'll be able to see it in the press box, and they'll be asked about it after the game, not the way you want to start this season. And, of course, Clifford and these receivers, they have not been game-tested together aside from a few occasions in spots last year. And he's got a running back group where Ricky Slade had some nice moments, you know, two or three games last year where he played key roles. Beyond that, not much. And, and Journey Brown has fewer than 10 carries. And then you got two freshman running backs. So there's a lot of room for, for issues there. But you think you iron things out in the spring with a lot of these guys. You continue to do that in August. And then you're ready to roll August 31st. You see that, that's a great sign. The other is defensive dominance. I think simply put, the way we've spoken about this defense, the way defensive leaders have spoken about themselves, and probably most importantly, James Franklin has not hesitated to say that this has the ability to be the best defense that they have put on the football field at Penn State since he's been there. And to this point, through a preseason camp, it is at that pace. You know, you got to see this defense dominate in a matchup like this. 
Yeah, I agree. And you're looking for health first, first and foremost. That's what you're coming out. And I know that's kind of goes without saying, but that's, that's the way that I look at it to get out of there. You're looking at, at defense, just the, the team speed. I'm not sure it's going to show up as well as you, you think it might, because it just so the the talent level is just so far from Idaho. So uh, interested to see a lot of these new guys get in. We talked about, uh, we talked about Keaton Ellis, but how about a safety? You're going to see Jaquan Brisker for the first time, going to get Jonathan, Jonathan Sutherland, some extended time in there. And, and I think guys like that can make the biggest difference. Damian Barber on the inside, maybe some judge Culpepper and Fred Hansard and, and give your, give your guys, uh, your, your top guys some time to rest. So, I mean, again, I hate going light on the, uh, you know, on the other team, but this is a long season and they're going to have to sort of, uh, I guess, gauge themselves and, and, and figure out how they can, how they can handle that. Um, in terms of the, the new starters, I think you're looking for a lot from guys like Jesse Lucchetto, who's going to get in there, um, going to be because of the Cam Brown and suspension. Obviously, Lamont Wade is a guy that we look to a bunch, and Justin Shorter is a guy that everybody looks to. So these new starters, including that group and the running backs as well, are going to have an opportunity to uh, to get in there and, and, and do their thing. And, you know, it's a nice little dip your toe into the water test for those guys. And just to clarify, I know a lot of our listeners are aware of this, but for those who are just plugging back into Penn State football or maybe hopping onto the podcast for the first time because the season is here, Ken Brown's suspension is not correlated at all with any kind of uh, team rules violation, off the field kind of deal. He was flagged for a targeting penalty in the second half of the Citrus Bowl back on January 1st. That means he is out for the first half of of the opener this year and opens the door for Jesse Lucchetta, a sophomore who played a lot on special teams last year to get that first career start. And you mentioned a few of the guys who will be in the first team unit for the initial time in their career, whether it's Lucchetta and Justin Shorter and Rasheed Walker and Ricky Slade, uh, Lamont Wade. One guy I am definitely going to be curious to see who's in a similar situation, at least with Penn State. He has started on a college football program is Jordan Stout, the kicker who joined this team as a transfer, was not on scholarship at Virginia Tech, continued to be amazed by that. He has come to Penn State. He has lived up to everything you'd expect uh, for a guy that is getting a scholarship to come to campus, at least on the practice field. We have seen it firsthand. The coaches seem excited about this guy. The depth chart, uh, to no surprise, translates on that because he leapfrogs Rafael Cheka as the new place kicker and Things go according to plan in this game. There should be a lot of opportunities for him to do some kickoffs. And something tells me he's going to be banging some out of the end zone based on what we've seen. Yeah, I think he'll be able to kick off a bunch. And you want to see Jake Pinnaker's uh, point after touchdown stroke as well. So uh, I don't know how much we're going to be able to take away from this game as a whole, especially with special teams. Um, but uh, I tell you what, Idaho's got a pretty good punter and kicker. Uh, Kate Coffey's an FCS All-American, averages 44 yards, uh, over 44 yards per punt. So I think we're going to see a lot of him on Saturday. So just just uh, store that name in the back of your head because I think he's going to be out there a bunch. He's going to get, he's going to get a lot on tape for, for the NFL. And if our listeners out there thought they couldn't get any more excited about this matchup, Sean, you just provided a nugget right there. One of the finest punters in FCS. Yeah, he's going to be a busy dude. It's going to be a really nice day out. So there's that. Um, Again, I predicted 55 points. And then I look back at all these numbers. And and that is below all those numbers that you read with Washington State and Missouri and Fresno State put up 70. So this would be a 70-point game. You'd never predict... 81 to nothing that the Penn State beat Cincinnati back in 1991, but it's it, it should be uh yeah 
it's tough. So yeah, all credit to Idaho for coming east. Um, they, they've got some nice players, and I did this tent to watch thing, and you know it's it, it's nice players for those le- that level. I don't know how much how many could stick in the Big Ten, but Jeff Cotton's a wide receiver. It's pretty good, six two two oh four. It's been a guy that Penn State's noticed uh, when they've looked at the tape. Of course, uh, Noah Gunn is that offensive tackle you talked about before as a true freshman who's starting his first game spent last year at the Air Force Prep Academy. Came in, you know, he's going to come in and start as a true freshman, and. I mean, good luck to that guy. <laughs> I mean, it's it's, it's going to be an interesting matchup for for some of those guys. Still trying to figure out the quarterback situation. Mason Petrino, who's Paul's son, um, is I guess probably looked at as the favorite to start. Um, he's a, a little guy. He's listed at six foot two oh eight. He's probably about five ten. Um, he's slinging around a little bit, move around a little bit, but he also threw a pick six on the first play of the Florida game. And then my guy, Colton Richardson, the backup, I, I guess suffice to call him the backup quarterback. He started the season opener last year, 6'4", 285. He brings the house as a quarterback. Can't run it all. He's got minus 51 yards in his career as a rusher. But, I mean, he's a 6'4", 285 quarterback. And on the inter- in the age of the internet, that's that's what I'm looking for going into this game. And because I do have the pleasure of sitting next to you in the press box and I'm privy to uh, plenty of commentary that does not hit the public forum, uh, I certainly wouldn't mind seeing Mr. Colton Richardson out there and and hearing your take on the situation. Uh, But yeah, two quarterbacks in play there. One of them, uh, obviously, the coach's son, something interesting. He started the last 10 games uh, last year. Uh, Don't know who we're going to see, when we're going to see them. Think we'll see two of them. Maybe, Maybe one gets the hot hand. Yeah, I don't know. Ultimately, whoever they ride out there with a quarterback, uh, that quarterback is going to see a lot of Penn State defenders in his face. I and I hope we see a I hope we see a lot of true freshman running back Nick Romano because that means they're running the ball and, and getting out of there, which I think is is the ideal situation for everybody. Uh, but yeah, as, as well as Jeff Cotton, Cottrell Haywood uh, on the outside had forty nine or forty eight receptions last year. Um, so you know they've got some good FCS talent. They got a big defensive line, six four three forty seven. Uh, I think you have a typo here. He's six three two fifty three. He's not two fifty three. He's three fifty three. Um, the other nose guard. Oh yeah, that that should read three five three. Uh, not gonna find the two hundred pounders in this interior mix. Uh, no, they're they're big guy, big guys up front, and uh, we'll we'll see what happens. But it's a good opportunity for Penn State to to work their base stuff and to get uh, to get a good feel for some of the young talent they have on this roster. A few other notes on Idaho. We mentioned their defensive struggles last year, giving up 60-plus against Florida and 70-plus against Fresno State. They surrendered about 455 yards per contest in 2018. Now, I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing considering the way they played last year, but of the 21 guys on Idaho's defensive depth chart that we see here, 12 of them have not played a college snap. Uh, So that's pretty fascinating. Um, They are going to be without one of their premier defensive players, arguably their best defensive player, uh, a guy who has an older brother in the NFL out of the same program, and that's Christian Ellis, uh, a linebacker who was suspended back in the spring because of an alleged theft. Um, So, you know, that's a significant loss. I'm not saying that that really is going to make or break this game in any way, shape, or form, but a defense that is already struggling pretty hard based on what we saw uh, unless they button things up in a big way during the offseason and, and and they're ready to surprise the world, there should be a team that is ripe for the picking uh, for Penn State's offensive attack on Saturday. 
Now, Sean, how about a few fun facts? You know, I don't know how fun they are, but they are interesting facts about this Idaho team. Uh, first off, six sets of brothers on the roster. That, that's that's pretty ridiculous. Uh, they've got the father and son thing at QB and coach. That's also notable. So, yeah, a whole lot of family going on on this roster. Additionally, this is Idaho's eighth trip to the East time zone for a game in the past nine years. So is there any other vital Vandal information that you have for us, Sean? Doug Nussmeyer, the 1993 Walter Payton Award winner is FCS MVP. I guess it was 1AA MVP. Of course, his son Garrett is a 2021 quarterback that Penn State offered at camp this summer. Uh, nice offensive line uh, tradition there. Jerry Kramer went into the Hall of Fame uh, in 2018. Mark Schlereth won a couple of Super Bowl titles. And then Mike Eopati was a first-round pick of the Niners uh, a, a few years back. So it actually got a pretty good all-time offensive line for, for being an FCS program. Alrighty then. Time for predictions, Sean. Week one, well, you already gave it to us, but why don't you repeat it and maybe some comments on why that's the pick. 55 to 6, and I feel I may have gone conservative there after looking at it. Yeah, we're pretty close. I got 52 to 7, Penn State coming out on top, and uh, you know, just a, a few predictions here within the game. I do think they're going to get eight or more sacks, as we stated earlier in the show. Uh, I think four, at least four, Nittany Lions will reach the end zone. I think at least two of them will be running backs, and I think if you're looking for someone who's going to warrant some instant reaction as, oh, is this guy the new rising star for Penn State? I, my money's on one of those two freshman running backs, Devin Ford, Noah Kane, either or really, because I think the touches will be there as this game progresses. So I could see either one of those guys begin to make their climb as kind of a household name for some of the more casual fans out there in Penn State who don't necessarily uh, follow the recruiting stuff and, and, and understand um, you know, the, the background of everybody on the roster entering game day. Oh, and I do not want to leave out our colleague here, uh, Mark Brennan. Uh, conservative, you said, uh, with your score, and uh, he's got 35-7 as the final uh, Penn State over Idaho. I was wondering if you were going to bring that up, yeah. If it's 35 to 7, there will be no podcast next week because I'll be in a ditch just because uh, my message board will probably have exploded. So, uh, not sure when this pick went in. Uh, I, I feel confident that he might be the furthest off out of the three of us. Maybe if it's 35 7, Mark can just host the show on his own uh, early next week and you can forget about the ditch and we'll just tuck away for a moment and, and he can bask in the glory of, of being right on that pick. Perfect. Perfect. All right. Scores are on the table now for the first game, and there are 11 more after that. And uh, let's get to it, man. Uh, Season predictions, they're already up on the site, posted earlier. Uh, Mark will put him out there on the record again. He's got nine and three, and so do you. Yeah, I went with nine and three. I was I was on the fence with nine and three and ten and two. I think this team has a lot of talent. Uh, they need experience. I think the defense is going to be a really really good defense. Keep them into every game, um, and and really just be the one that feeds off. It's got to be on the offense. It's got to be on Sean Clifford to. I I, I look at the st- you know the schedule every year, and it's of course Ohio State and Michigan are going to be at the top every year. And then you've got those hinge games at Iowa, at Michigan State. Um, so these games are, are the ones that are going to make or break every season for you. And, and Clifford and this offense have to show that they can take the, themselves to the next level and actually win those games. And we've seen it in the last couple of years. 
have struggled, you know, they struggled at Michigan or they struggled against Michigan State. Doesn't matter if it's home or away for the most part. And then Iowa is always a tough place to play. You're not sure if that's going to be a night game at Kinnick, which is one of the toughest atmospheres to go into. Of course, Penn State, you know, needed that last second Juwan Johnson touchdown a couple of years ago. So I look at those games as sort of the hinge games. I think they can beat Michigan at home. I mean, I do. I, I think Michigan is a good team. I'm not sure that Michigan is a great team. And I guess talent across the board, and they've got some really, really talented players across the board. I don't know that they have the depth and talent to be at that number one spot in the Big Ten, like a lot of people have forecasted. I still think Ohio State, until until proven otherwise, I know they have a new coach, but until proven otherwise, I think Ohio State's the team to beat in the Big Ten. And I think that uh, Penn State, talent-wise, has made up a bunch of ground, but they're still not there. I have at 9-3, could have easily picked 10-2. and two. If this team gets experience, if this team gets uh, seasoning and stays healthy, and especially on the offensive line, if they can take a step forward, this team has got a ton of potential. There's a ton of talent on this roster. I'm excited to see them play. I think it's a, one of the more intriguing years uh, that, that that we've entered in the last couple of years. So um, you don't have Barkley. You don't have McSorley. We'll see what these other guys have. And I think you've got talent at every spot. You've got the, you've got and I've said talent so many times, you've got the talent to do it. It's just about coming along and, and, and making that next step. And until they do that, it's kind of a, uh, a wait to see to believe type of situation. As I've addressed, I think this offensive line is in flux. I could think we could see some new starters emerge over the course of the 2019 year if things remain status quo into late September, early October, because I think Franklin needs to identify that if history is about to repeat itself, and the offensive line is going to essentially, uh, you know, handicap what you can do offensively late in the game, particularly closing things out. You, you got to nip it in the bud before it gets to the point where it bites you once again. And, and I don't know what will happen there. I'm not expecting the offensive line to be one of the best in the country. But I do think, because I have bought in on how this team has recruited the past couple of years since I've covered them, I think they've recruited at a very high level. And, you know, you can look at the rankings, you can look at the star ratings, it all shows that. But the real truth is what we've seen on the practice field in the month of August and actually seeing this collective group of the prospects we've spent so much time talking about in a Penn State uniform now roaming around the field, it's there, man. And I know this team in 2016 won the Big Ten Championship, but let's remember what that team went through. They lost to Pittsburgh. They got smoked by Michigan. And I think if you look top to bottom right now on this team versus 2016, it might stun a lot of people in terms of just how deeper, more athletic, more talented from your first roster spot to your 105th roster spot. That's where they are right now. But, you know, not a lot of proven commodities. And, yeah, let's look back at 2016 again. You had a redshirt sophomore in Trace McSorley who was not nearly as lauded of a quarterback prospect as Sean Clifford is. And you were certainly still reeling from scholarship sanctions and, and the impact of that era. So when I look at this team, anybody who feels like the, the defense is going to need to to hold opponents to under 20 points if they want hopes of, of winning games consistently, well, then I think that's an issue for the coaching staff because Ricky Ronnie, James Franklin, Matt Limegrover, of course, Jaywan Sutter more recently coming on, Tyler Bowen, they've done the diligence on the recruiting trail. They have packed this roster and the offensive framework with, with just tremendous talent. I mean, there are so many teams that would envy and do envy what Penn State has put together offensively. So to me, there's no excuse to have some kind of drop-off, especially from what we saw last year when it was super inconsistent and a lot of that 
fell upon some of the veteran players on this team. Um, I, I do see the offense having enough firepower. Big part of that is I do believe in Sean Clifford. I, I like the way he can command an offense. I really like the way uh, he is accountable, and that dates back to seeing him, and I've told the story plenty of times, in the Elite 11 circuit out in, out in Los Angeles, out in Nike's World Headquarters, sharing the field with guys like Tua Tagovailoa and Jake Fromm and Dylan McCaffrey and Tate Martell. He stood out in that group. I'm not saying he was the best, but one thing that always stood out about him, you know, and that was before his senior year, and he went on to win a championship with St. Xavier. One thing that always stood out about him is he could command a group of big-time personalities, and I think that's what Penn State has now on offense. They've got the big-time talent. They've got the big-time personalities, and I think even if this offensive line is where it was at last year or just a bit better, there still should be a better offensive group in totality, and that's not taking away anything from Trace McSorley. That's not taking anything away from Miles Sanders. I just think because of what they dealt with that wide receiver last year, um, you know, that was a major issue, and I think that's been going to be remedied. We'll find out soon. And defensively, the story's been told over and over and over and over. Uh, until proven otherwise, I'm going to assume Penn State has the best defense in the Big Ten based on personnel and based on who they've got coming back and based on who they've got rising up the ranks. Um, we'll find out if that holds true as well. I'm going 10-2, and two, and, and until really mid-August, I was leaning towards 9-3. and three. I'm actually kind of surprised they didn't go 9-3. and three. I thought they were going to lose at Iowa. I've kind of changed my mind on this, and, and here's how I see the season setting up. I'll be specific with it, Sean. I think they're going to run the table in September. I think they're going to run the table uh, for the first two-thirds of that key three-game stretch in October. I think they will beat Iowa on the road. Don't think it will be easy, uh, but I do think they will win that game. Then I think they will come home and beat Michigan. Uh, that's going to be a tough loss for Michigan to take. And at that point, you're sitting at an unbeaten record mid-October, probably with a top five or six ranking. Here's where I'm going to break a lot of hearts. I think they go on the road to East Lansing and lose again to Michigan State. That would be a third straight defeat. And then I think later on in the year, they suffer a third consecutive loss to Ohio State and Columbus. And that equals out to 10 and 2. And, and uh, you know, for me, I, again, I'm just a big believer in that 2018 class. And, and, and I know you make fun of me for that sometimes, and some of our other colleagues do because I talk about these guys so much. But I, I think I'm steadily going to be proven right here and, and because look across this roster. There's a reason that you had fourth and fifth year guys leaving in bunches. They saw what the writing on the wall. They saw what these players were capable of. And look what Pat Fryermuth and Micah Parsons and, and to some level Ricky Slade did last year. And now look who's stepping up. Rasheed Walker, Justin Shorter, Daniel George. You got Jahan Dotson, PJ Mustafer, Jason Alway. Um, you know, I, I just am a believer that this group has the right stuff, the complexion mentally, physically, athletically, to put this team ahead of schedule. I know a lot of folks want to focus on 2020 as the year it could happen. I think because of the way the Big Ten is set up this year, uh, I don't know what the deal is with Ohio State, like you said, with the new coach, but I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt on being the team to beat as well. Um, but it's wide open, I think, among a few teams, and Penn State is one of those teams. So I don't know if I'm ready to say they're going to break through, get to Indianapolis, and knock on the door of a college football playoff spot. In fact, I'm not if I'm predicting two regular season losses and both of those losses coming in the East Division. But I will say, they go 10-2, and two, they get themselves in a marquee bowl matchup in the New Year's Six, and they finish this thing off right. 
there should be full expectations for a run toward the college football playoff in 2020, and that should be solidly the expectation. If things go awry, in my opinion, it's because the offense had shortcomings, and that squarely will put the focus on guys like Ricky Ronnie, your play caller, Matt Limegrover, the offensive line coach. Both of them have been around long enough, recruited long enough for this program to put the pieces in place. Now it's up to them to use those pieces and and defeat teams with those players. Uh, I'm not going to put it on the players if it doesn't come through because I am so sold on the talent. Just don't know how it's going to look when it comes together. Yeah, that that, that season hinges. Those three games that we always talk about, Franklin's got the record against Ohio State, Michigan State, and Michigan. Um, They go two in one of those games. That's that's a great sign. So um, just going from there, we've got uh, offensive MVP, I went with Clifford. Um, I was tempted to take Handler. I'm not ready to jump in on, uh, all in on any of the running backs right now. was tempted to take K.J. Handler, but I know they have a, a very talented array of wide receivers, and, and Clifford's going to be the guy that has to get them there. Um, you mentioned game manager earlier before. I, I'm not as down on the game manager, um, I guess, uh, stigma as a lot of people would be. There's been a lot of game managers that have won a lot of games. Uh, Clifford, I think, can be better than that, but at the same time, I mean, you, you manage part of managing the game is getting the ball to those guys and letting them do it and, and we're going to see Hamler we're going to see a lot of Jahan Dotson um, those tight ends I think are tremendously talented but I think Clifford's got to be the linchpin and you know, if, you, if you get this season where you want it to be Clifford's got to be that guy it's not often that you can call a young guy old reliable but I have a feeling that's where things are trending with Pat Fryermuth. I mean he was the go-to guy in some key spots for Trace McSorley last year. I mean, for example, his first month of football against Ohio State, McSorley's looking for him on third and long in the red zone, and that just maintained all the way to eight touchdowns, and I just think he has elevated his stature so much within this locker room, within this offense. He almost seems like an assistant coach to Tyler Bowen at times, and and, and I know that Pat does uh, potentially want to get into coaching down the line. I think he is really prepared for what defenses are going to counter him with. He's not going to take anybody by surprise. I don't think he's going to lead this team in receptions, quite frankly, but I think he will set the table for a lot of what they do. And to me, that's where the value comes in. And I think especially for a first-year quarterback, I I talked about this with Tyler Bowen on the practice field a couple weeks ago, not many things that that help out a first-year quarterback like a reliable tight end target. And and they've got the ability to to throw a few of those guys at their position. Uh, But but clearly, uh, Pat Fryermuth is head and shoulders above everyone in that tight end room. He's going to be a vulture. He's, he's, he's very tough to uh, defend in the red zone. So I think I agree with you. He's probably not going to lead Penn State in receptions, um, but he doesn't have to. He can score a lot of touchdowns. So I'm interested to see that. I'm interested to see how, how they play off of he and Nate, ba- uh, excuse me, Nate Bauer, uh, Nick Bowers. Uh, if they put Nate out there, we got some trouble. Um, but yeah, we're going to see how they play off of that, uh, you know, that two, two tight end set that they've been talking about as well. So yeah, I like Fryermuth. I just think Clifford's got to be the guy uh, to, 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 to make that next step. Defensively, I think there's two obvious choices here, and we took both of them. You took Micah Parsons. I took Etor Gross Matos. I'm going to go with production over potential. I think uh, Parsons has tremendous uh, potential to be one of, if not the top linebacker in the in the uh, in the conference. But Gross Matos has done it on the field already. Twenty tackle for loss last year. You know he's going to probably see his workload uh, decrease a little bit based on who they've got out there at defensive line and keep those guys fresh longer. But He's just a, a monster player, a potential top 15 pick next year, and he's playing for, for draft status, I think. So uh, I'm going to go with Gross Matos, and I'm going to give you the floor for, uh, for Parsons. 
When you come to a program like Penn State as that school's top-ranked recruiting signee in 13 years, which is exactly what Micah Parsons was in 2018, the expectations are going to be tremendously high. And then when you focus on a position for the first time in your life and turn that into a team-high tackle total while starting just one game along the way and then earning freshman All-America honors, yeah, that's only going to elevate things. And, and I'm all on board with Micah Parsons in terms of who he is as a person and a player. He has dispelled all those negative notions, any of them, that accompanied him during that recruiting odyssey. That feels like such a, a, a distant memory in the rearview mirror at this point. And I do anticipate Micah Parsons to go somewhere, you know, 120 plus tackles if he is healthy all the way through. Uh, I just believe he has a range that is so rare. But what I'm excited to see, and, and a big reason why I compared him to Von Miller, uh, Denver Broncos star coming out of high school, is I, I just think he is a tremendous, tremendous rusher uh, of the quarterback and a guy who can just rack up tackles for loss. And that wasn't something that was really able to be part of his uh, approach last year because he was getting acclimated to the spot and the focus was on fundamentals. And I think you know, year three, Micah Parsons is going to be even scarier, but year two, Micah Parsons will get to be more of a diverse defender. I have to imagine Brent Pry has spent the last uh, eight months or so scheming up ways to get this guy free, getting after the quarterback. And so I think that's a big part of what you're going to see from Micah. I also think, again, th this team is in need of some new tone setters. Um, and I think he's right to, to do that for the defense and, and a guy that can really answer the bell when it matters the most and look everyone else in the eye and convince them to do the same. So I'll go Micah Parsons as MVP. Yeah, and we're going to get to see him at Sam on Saturday, which I'm really excited about because he's going to be asked to do a little bit less in terms of read and react and, and just go get it. And I'm going to be curious to see what happens when Cam Brown's able to come back in, um, what they do with that, because Cam has played uh, Will and Sam you know, as well. So be curious to see how he, how he thrives in that role, and potentially that's somewhere we might see him next year. So I'm um, curious to see Micah Parsons out there just because he's so freaking talented. And uh, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be fun to watch. Uh, freshman of the year. We're kind of split here. I think there's two obvious choices. You took Noah Kane. I took Devin Ford. Um, I, I, I like your pick on Kane. I think he's a, a guy that can just be a nose to the grindstone type guy in, in live situations. He just falls forward and picks up yards. Um, Ford, I think, is a little bit more talented, well-rounded, and I think he can be a guy that uh, you know breaks into that rotation. I also think he can return kicks and, and be a, a special teams player as well. So interested to see both of those guys. I'm going to go with Ford basically because you went with Kane. With this conversation, those are really the two guys you have to focus in on. And, and if you had told me you really wanted Kane, I would have been very comfortable taking Devin Ford in this discussion as the as the you know the, the freshman of the year on offense. Because outside of those guys, not going to see a Pat Fryermuth kind of emergence. I don't think from anybody this year. Brenton Strange, very nice prospect, buried on that tight end depth chart. Though I do think we'll see plenty of him as the season progresses. And then Caden Wallace, uh, who's I think two three years down the line. You're talking about all Big Ten, maybe even all American potential. But right now, those two running backs are factoring in, and they will factor in all season. They both have the green light. Uh, to me, Noah King getting in in January is a separating factor, and why I took him over Ford. You know, he had a really strong spring, and just speaking 
speaking with Jaywan Sider this summer about what he saw from Kane this spring. It, it wasn't the blue-white game, although that was a nice punctuation mark, and that was what publicly we all saw, go out there and lead the team in touches, get a couple touchdowns, a lot of that work against the first-team defense, but it's really about what went on behind those uh, behind the scenes that spring, and he went from a guy who was able to independently build himself up. He didn't need a lot of help once he got through the last couple, the first couple of weeks of that spring camp. And I think he's carried that same mindset. And uh, he's always been a, a player and a young man who's been wise beyond his years. And, and I've had a chance to be speaking with him as his rec- uh, recruitment wore on, really dating back to before his sophomore year in high school. And he took his talents down to IMG Academy and shared the shared the load with Trey Sanders, who was a five-star running back going to Alabama. And I think that experience as well will help keep his head on straight over the course of this year because there's going to be times and there's going to be quarters and series and possessions where he is the guy and, and, and he's going to be treated like a feature back, I think. And then there's going to be other times where it'll be Ricky Slade's turn or Journey Brown's turn or Devin Ford's turn. And that can seriously mess with the mind of a lot of freshmen. Noah Kane's not going to be messed by, not going to be thrown for a loop off that. And I think because he will stay that course by the end of the 2019 season, regardless of how Ricky does or Devin does or Journey does, he's going to be right there at the top of the board along with whoever else as major factors entering 2020 at the top of the running back room. Now, defensively, we're looking around for, for the freshman of the year. And uh, again, another sign of where this Penn State team is from its progression on a roster standpoint and its ability to accrue talent. Neither of us are going with Brandon Smith or Lance Dixon. And a reminder for our listeners, Brandon Smith was the number one overall middle linebacker prospect in 24-7 Sports 2019 rankings. And in those same rankings, Lance Dixon was the top outside linebacker prospect. Premier talent, five-star athletes, right now looking like second, maybe third stringers in that linebacker group because of what they've got put together in that room. My attention immediately turns to Keaton Ellis. We spent some time talking about him before, so I won't go too deeply into this one, but expecting to see him early often and uh, he's a guy that I think is going to put together a heck of a career at Penn State it's going to be one of those special stories because he played his high school football you know less than two miles away from Beaver Stadium and I think now that he gets his shot to put on that Nittany Lions uniform and be a part of the process you know his father wore that same uniform and then that's always a a really interesting thing uh, when we talk about legacy stuff Uh, but yeah Keaton Ellis he's going to get it done this year he's going to get it done next year and I think steadily he is going to be a stalwart for this defense uh, moving forward. They love this kid, and he's going to play a lot of football early. He's going to play, um, you know, at corner. He's going to play on special teams. They can move him around and and, and see what they've got because this is a guy that if he grows up fast can be an impact player. I think next year um, when, when Reed's gone and potentially if Castro Fields has a great year, you know, he's going to look at that uh, situation as well. So um, you need him to grow up, but at the same time, you like the potential that he's got. Ellis was my guy as well. I have Brandon Smith written, written down here just because, uh, but I'm going to go with Ellis as well. Turning our attention from the newcomers uh, to some of the veterans who are looking to make moves. Uh, we talk about breakouts. We, we, we did this early in the summer as well, I believe. And my pick stays the same. I'm going C.J. Thorpe. I think he's going to, to grab this right guard job and just keep rolling forward. Um, we talked about his ability to be a culture driver in this offensive line room. He is the kind of catalyst that I feel like collectively the offensive front 
has in some ways been lacking at times during recent years. And uh, some of those younger guys, they start following his lead. I think a lot there's a lot of similar mindsets in that room. Guys like Caden Wallace, perhaps Rasheed Walker, Salim Wormley. This is a guy to watch, and, and, and he's only a redshirt sophomore, so she, he should be around for a bit longer. I'm going to go on record. I think I said the same thing in the summer. He will exceed the performance of Connor McGovern that you got last year, and McGovern ended up being a third-round pick uh, to the Dallas Cowboys. That is my sense on the situation. I think he's a breath of fresh air for this team. He's been on quite a journey himself, uh, going over to the defensive line group midseason last year, working his way back over to guard. He's going to break out, and I think he's going to be an all-Big Ten performer. You're bringing the fire today. I'm so proud of you. It's uh, yeah. I, I'm gonna go the easy pick and go with Justin Shorter. Uh, all the talent in the world. It's a grow up year for him. He's got to do it right now uh, because they, you know, for this offense to be a 10 or 11 win team, he's got to be a guy that uh, that lives up to that potential and does some some nice things. So I'll go with Shorter. Um, I still think again. I've said it several times. I think he can do it. Uh, I'm not not close to writing him off or anything like that, but his production, as we I think we talked about on the episode earlier this week, his production kind of mirrors what he did in high school. It was a very slow start. Um, you know, you saw a bunch of the flashes of things, and then once he started getting going, he was uh, he developed into the prospect that we know, and now he's got to develop into the player that we think he could be. So I'll go with Shorter. Interested to see how he handles uh, the first month of the season, where he stands going uh, into October, because he can be a big, big weapon for Sean. John Clifford, um, not just down the field, but uh, we, we've seen him take hitches and go. And that's one thing he's very talented at that we probably overlook. We see him as a guy that's 6'4 and can stretch the field, but he can also you know, take a hitch and make a move and, and get going like not many guys his size can do. So really excited to see what Justin Shorter can do. Of course, uh, you know, there's probably some more pressure on there based on the pedigree, but uh, you know, that's part of, part of the game. So we'll see where he is, I guess, probably in, in four weeks from now. Let's go from Justin Shorter to another New Jersey product. I'm going with Jason Oway in our final category, which is breakout defensive player. That should surprise absolutely no one who listens to this podcast on a consistent basis, especially uh, my colleague Sean Fitz. Now standing approximately six foot five, two hundred and fifty-five pounds, with a forty-yard dash in the four-four range. It's more than the measurables, folks. This is his second college season. And he had two high school seasons, and he has reached a point, I think, that is ahead of the schedule that I personally anticipated. And and based on what I've gathered from other conversations, he's ahead of the schedule that they thought he was going to be on coming to campus. And two sacks last year against Kent State in a limited appearance there. Rest of the way, you know, spots here, spots there, played fewer than five games, maintained the red shirt. He told me his goal was to triple that sack total from 2018. That would mean six this season. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to buy into that. I'm going to believe that Jason Away can go accomplish that. He's already made the move up the depth chart. He's the number two guy behind Shaka Tony. We know that Sean Spencer is going to rotate a lot of guys in. He's expressed considerable trust in Jason Away, and this is exactly the blueprint that Jason Away laid out for himself. The goal for him was to find a defensive line coach that he could essentially hand himself over and say, hey, I know I'm a hell of an athlete, but I really don't know how to play this game of football all that well and all that much to the finite details that are going to require me to go from a good athlete to a great football player and a potential NFL player down the road. That process has been underway behind the scenes for a while now. I think the world's going to find out this year. And for a guy that I really thought 2020 was going to be kind of his landing spot on the big stage, 
he is here now, I think, and, and we're going to find out in a hurry. would not surprise me at all if he matches or exceeds those two sacks that he recorded last year within the first couple of games. Yeah, he might be a year ahead. Uh, he's second on that depth chart to bump down Daniel Joseph, which was one of those notable things that we talked about earlier this week, and he certainly has the potential to do it. Uh, maybe may, might be one of those overreaction guys from this week because uh, he's going to go against Idaho, and, and he's probably going to look pretty good. So we'll see where he's at when they get in the Big Ten schedule. But I, I do think, I mean, he's a he is a guy that comes out of the bullpen throwing 103. I mean, he's a guy that you could throw at somebody and results will happen. So really interested to see his development. If he's ready to go this year, that's about a year ahead of where they projected him. And that's a that's certainly a good thing for them. Defensively, for our defensive surprise, uh, I'm going to go with Jan Johnson. And I don't think that's going to be a very popular pick. Uh, I think Jan Johnson can do a lot of this de- for this defense. You know, I, I still don't think you know he's the most physically talented side to side guy. I don't know that he needs to be when he's flanked by Cam Brown or Micah Parsons or Jesse Luketta or whoever's playing that Sam. Um, got to keep those guys in check, get those guys in the right spots. And when he puts those guys in the right spots, I think they'll be able to do it. Uh, Franklin was, was very complimentary of him earlier this week when we talked. He said he's improved his athleticism, improved his testing numbers. He's always been a pretty, you know, a really good athlete, of course, was the wrestler. But short area quickness, he runs one of the fastest shuttles on the team. Uh, it's just got to be about finishing for him. And if he can finish, you know, he can be a quality guy in there. And it's, uh, you know, a lot of people have, you know, called for Ellis Brooks to go in there or, or maybe called for some, you know, Laquetta to move in or Brandon Smith to move in. I don't think Johnson's ready to, to, to sort of step away from that right now. You know, maybe he gets passed up earlier or later in the year. If he does, I think that that would be a good sign because he's got guys behind him that are, that are pushing him. But for, from right now, from, from what I've heard from the expectation from this team, I think he can be a, a very important part of this, uh, this defensive group. Get those guys in the right spots. And if you get those guys in the right spots, I mean, that's half the battle. And, uh, you know, you're paying attention to the guys in front of you, getting them in the right spots. I think Jan Johnson can bring so much to this defense. While he's not the most physically talented guy, I think he can really help them out. Well, after an offseason of speculation, I think we can leave the speculative conversations right there, Sean. And, and now we're on the record. So our listeners, feel free to hold us accountable uh, or don't as this season progresses. Just because the season is here now doesn't mean that recruiting slows down or or gets on the back burner. Uh, Sean, what do we got brewing on the recruiting scene this weekend in Happy Valley? Not pretty light list. Uh, Really interesting note, St. Augustine Prep out of South Jersey of Jack Crawford and Austin Johnson fame will be playing at State College on Friday night. They're going to stick around and and watch the game on Saturday at Penn State. Uh, A couple of names that you might recognize. Isaiah Rakes, the Texas A&M commit, is slated to be at the game on Saturday. I, I don't see this one happening. I, 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 I think they want Fidel Diggs a little bit more. And I know we package those guys together because they're buddies and they're both going to Texas A&M. Diggs is undoubtedly, in my mind, the, the bigger target. Rakes uh, seems pretty solid to, to, to Elijah Robinson in Texas A&M. So uh, I think he's just coming to take in the game. His teammates are taking in the game. Uh, Jake Ketchek is a 2021 offensive lineman who's looked pretty good. I think he's a guy that Penn State eventually will come around and offer. We saw him at camp uh, the summer before this past summer um, at the Whiteout camp, sort of held his own as an underclassman. So be an interesting name there. A couple of commits will be up. Fatorma Mulba, Tyler Elsden will be down. I think you're going to see a lot of Elsden uh, this year at games. And But other than that, really not too much to, to take away from a recruiting standpoint for week one. 
Well, if anything changes and some big recruiting news breaks this weekend, we will, of course, have you covered here at Lions 24-7. As we mentioned at the top of the episode, Sean and I will do our best to get together uh, quickly after the game and player availability and press conferences and all that to put together a podcast uh, breaking down the action against Idaho. Uh, we're going to try to do that every week, uh, give some highlights, some things that we saw, some things that we're taking away from conversations with those players and coaches after these games, and uh, we'll get it out to you as soon as we can for now we will step away and we will see you at the lines 24 7 tailgate if you decide to join us outside beaver stadium on saturday afternoon on behalf of sean fitz i'm tyler donahue and folks it's football season